Hello, Girl Boss. This is your host, Sophia Amoruso, founder, CEO, author of Girl Boss. And I hope you guys had a great holiday. Welcome back. We have a great guest for you today. She's the founder of The Class by Taryn Toomey. Taryn Toomey. And before we get to our chat, I want to remind you that if you want to join us in building what the future of Girl Boss looks like, you can check out the Girl Boss community at community.girlboss.com. You enter your email and you'll be added to a list where you'll be one of the first people that access the community when our doors fly open in spring of 2019. And also remember, it means a lot to me and everyone who produces Girl Boss Radio and everybody here at Girl Boss that if you like what you hear in today's show, please rate, review, subscribe, and tell a friend. Success. It's such a complicated idea, and yet for so long, we've all collectively subscribed to a single definition of the word which was likely given to us by a white-haired dude somewhere in a boardroom in the 1960s. And there's nothing wrong with that definition, with the notion of climbing a corporate ladder with a singular focus. But it's time to make space for a few other definitions, for side hustles and well-being and failing forward, and for the idea that success is a wild ride, not the destination at the end of it. Join me for a journey into the lives of women who are redefining success and paving the way for others with grit and grace. I'm Sophia Amoruso, the founder and CEO of Girl Boss Media, and this is Girl Boss Radio. Taryn Toomey is an entrepreneur and wellness expert known for creating The Class by Taryn Toomey. Taryn's career started in corporate fashion, and after so many years of feeling unfulfilled and wanting more, she decided to jump ship and dive into yoga teacher training. After years of teaching vinyasa yoga, her yoga practice naturally progressed into the class. The class is known for transforming students with Taryn's magical, virtually unexplainable workout. Well, the class, it's its a music-driven self-study through physical conditioning. That's a, that's a long sentence, yes. <laughs> it's all music-based, and we're using the, we're intentionally creating discomfort in the physical body to see where the mind goes. It's garnered recognition from news outlets like Fast Company, The Hollywood Reporter, Vogue, The New York Times, and The New Yorker. Taryn has presented her method at the TEDx conference, in Goop Health Summit, Glamour's Women of the Year conference, and the Cadillac retreat that we had a few months ago in Las Vegas, which was such a blast. The class by Taryn Toomey is currently in New York, Bridgehampton, Los Angeles, Vancouver, and Miami. Today, Taryn is here to share how she got into the wellness space, what the class is all about, and how to turn adversity into strength. Now let's get to it. Here's my chat with Taryn Toomey. Taryn, thanks for joining me on Girl Boss Radio. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So you're not feeling too well. No, um, I'm not. Thanks for taking the time anyway in the midst of the holiday season. It's also encouraging to know that even Taryn Toomey gets sick. So That's what you do when you're a girl boss. I appreciate your candor. <laughs> um, Thank you. And so I start every episode of Girl Boss Radio with the same question, just because a lot of people will look at someone like you and the other accomplished women who come on Girl Boss Radio and they'll think, wow, you know, if she had a big head start or, mm. you know, I only hear about where she is now. And, you know, I, we all have a start. So I'm curious, what was your first job? I worked at Boston Market. Amazing. I was That's really amazing. excited about that job. I remember the hat and the apron, four fifteen an hour. Oh, my gosh. I was stoked. That's amazing. I think it's Boston Chicken now or is it Boston Market? It was the opposite know. when I started. 
I will eat it either way. And my first job was at Subway, so I relate. You're slightly, you get slightly ahead, I think, Boston that, markets. Oh, yeah, that good smell when you leave work at the end of the day. Oh, yeah, like you're drenched in like weird bread smell. The scent, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and just for the record, I'm a big fan of what you're doing. I've taken the class a few times and and I'm, I'm just so fascinated by what you've built and how you built it. And, you know, it's really, really hard to make a new way of it's really hard to create a new way of exercising and creating meaning with something that people normally do. And it's just a very kind of like, all right, I'm moving my body. Great. Off to work. Um, so right. I want to get into that. But you, so you, you worked at Boston Market, and then at some point you worked in fashion. What, what did you do? How did you get into fashion? I uh, started working in the Ralph Lauren East Hampton store in the middle of a summer, one summer because they were man down, and somebody from their HR department was getting off the jitney and saw me applying for a position at another store, and they kind of swooped me up and said, "Will you work here?" and I was like, oh my God, are you kidding me? Ralph Lauren, like, whoa, you know, I don't know. I was 20 years old and I just thought that was like the dial end all. So I ended up working for them in the store and then I went down to their Florida store, went back and forth twice and then moved to New York for a job in their corporate office and just slowly worked my way up the ladder. And so what did, were you in merchandising? Where were you in the corporate? My last job there, I was an account executive for Men's Wholesale, which I worked in a bunch of different departments, but that's where my kind of long, long game was at the end, which luck luckily for me was a position that I really didn't enjoy because it led me to figure out a way to seek something that was more fulfilling. I think if I would have gotten in the channels of creativity and design and something that could have allowed self-expression, I probably would still be there. I loved working for that company. Did you do yoga this entire time, when did you pick up yoga? Because I know that's what led you to creating the class. Yep. Um, I started doing yoga probably about 18, 19 years ago. And I remember my first class was an Ashtanga class, which I went in and just thought like, oh my God, that's not yoga. That's like kick your ass mm -hmm. and sweat and figure out how you can't walk and you're so sore for days after. So I've always used movement as my medicine and music as my medicine. So my first entry point into yoga that it was tough and it was sweating and it was hard, but there was it was also a breath-based practice. That's really what hooked me. And what is it about music that moves you? Like, what do you think the power of music is with something like what you do? You're hearing somebody share their soul through their creative outlet and their ability to bring their art and their gift to the world outward. So for me, that's how I connect with people, through feeling into people's fields and when a singer is singing and it's not something that was written for them you know the music that I listen to is usually people that I would like to hang out with you know the artists that I listen to so I think it's people sharing their their gift to the world and I really connect with that so there's a lot of yoga teachers out there and you were you eventually became a yoga teacher but very few of us create our own kind of method that goes beyond maybe a more traditional practice and so I'm just curious, like, how did you go from being a yoga instructor to creating the class? What led to creating the class? Mm, I mean, there's so many different stories in that. I've always been a little kooky in terms of um, the inability to ground myself very easily unless I'm moving and bouncing and making sound. So I've noticed in my yoga classes I would leave and I would feel I, – I felt good. I felt balanced, but I didn't feel like there 
was this kind of like medicinal grounding feeling that I would get after bouncing around and kind of pushing into things, you know, my own body weight or if I was at the gym, a medicine ball or something. Um, and then I also had this really strange internal external schism going on all the time where I felt very unsettled inside, mostly from a, uh, you know, early childhood stuff and, and, you know, life and life that happens and the kind of lineage of patterns that get passed down through you. And I was just really looking for a way to connect the dots in my music, in my movement practice of what was going on in my head with movement, allow myself to actually feel what it is and give myself space to feel frustrated about it or exhausted by it or over it or needing to interrupt it. So that's how the movements began. I would, the class is one muscle group per song and we engage in the same rhythm for the entire song. And then we close our eyes and we watch what our mind does around the feeling. And then when people need to make some sort of sound or feel a desire to start or stop, they have the space to do all of that. So that's really the nuts and bolts of class. But um, it started actually in the basement of my building when I was um, about seven years ago. A good friend and mentor of mine, Mama Kia, passed away. She had created a children's home down in Peru, and um, she was kind of the first pass at what felt like a, a mother to me, and I was just dealing with a lot of grief around it. So for almost two years, I taught it with no name, and we would just send the money down to her kids um, just as a way to help heal and keep her spirit alive. And then after uh, that period of time, I decided to give it a name, the class, because I couldn't figure out what to call it. Everybody just called it the class anyway. And uh, moved it over to your kids' dance studio and just slowly started sharing what I was doing by doing it. And people kept coming and then they were sold out. And I was like, oh, this is okay. When is this going to stop? Okay, this will probably stop in a couple weeks. And, you know, and then it didn't. People kept coming and then I hired another teacher and then I trained another one. And it was a really slow process, you know, which is why it's funny sometimes that I look at, you know, even just being on on this the radio show with you or anything that I do these days, I'm always when I'm asked to speak about it, it took so long. It was never like a pen to paper or a business idea or a plan. It just came through me and I kept tuning into the the gut sense and, and my instincts about what to do next and the timing of them all. And that's really what led me here. And how would you describe the class? Because it's pretty unique and it's surprising in that it's called the class and there's you know, before you go into the class, you're like, okay, this is going to be like really woo-woo and spiritual. And there's an element of that, which is really powerful. Like I've cried during the class, but it's also like, wait, I'm doing jumping jacks. Like, yeah, that's the last thing I would expect from, you know, what I know about Taryn Toomey and how cathartic this experience could be. And it's crazy that jumping jacks can do that for you. How, mm -hmm. what led you to integrating, yeah, such simple calisthenics into the class and how would you describe the experience of being there? Well, the class, it's it's a music-driven self-study through physical conditioning. That's a, that's a long sentence, yes. <laughs> it's all music-based and we're using the, we're intentionally creating discomfort in the physical body to see where the mind goes to study yourself, to get to know yourself. The reason why the movements are what they are is because we don't, in, in the whole design and the teacher training of the class, we don't speak about things like spirit or soul until you have gained the trust of the room by using music, by using the cues that you can do it or don't. You can't do this wrong. You're welcome to leave. You can lay down. You give people permission to do whatever they want. 
usually in those places they do it all because they're like, oh, okay, I'm not being told to do something. There's no approach where somebody's yelling anything at anyone. It feels comfortable. Um, the movements are done because when, uh, I mean, I love jumping jacks. I love burpees. I like long bridges. I like working my abdominals. I like push-ups. I like all of these things. So the way that we do it is we work one muscle group per song. We start from the soles of the feet and work the way up the body. Only after you've gained the trust of the room and the mirrors are fogged over and you've engaged a fire, a deep fire in the physical body, that's when the, the teacher is able to offer out things like, that is your brain, it is an organ, this is your physical body, and you have a spirit that has chosen this body, and your spirit embodied, feel it. And only then do you bring it up. We don't really talk about it much outside of the class because it's a felt sense. So that's why there's that spiritual element. But for me, I'm, I say this all the time, but it's so true. I'm, I'm the biggest skeptic out there. I can feel when somebody's trying to sell me some sort of like fake spirituality or trite la la la. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's super important. Just like, let's just burpee to rage against the machine for a little bit, or let's just like do some jumping jacks and allow ourselves to feel comfortable enough to stop anytime we want and sweat and move. And then after a while, when the human feels safe enough and the psyche feels safe enough, you know, then you can offer out things that are unseen. But it, there's a very delicate dance of when you can offer that type of speak. And then what would you say the influences are? Because it feels like there's a kundalini influence and there's a lot of repetition. And there's a quote by Brian Eno that I really love that is repetition is a form of change. Do you agree with that? And is kundalini an influence? Well, I'd never actually done a kundalini class when I started doing the class and people would come and tell me that all the time. And then I ended up taking a class out in LA with Guru Jagat, who I'm obsessed with and love. And I get it now. I understand now. And I love that practice. I don't do it much, but um, the repetition and the kind of endurance around the feeling is very much a nod to what we do in the class, but it was not lifted from that because I'd actually never done that. Hmm. The reason why I started doing these basic movements is because the groups grew so big that you, you couldn't really alternate. And I felt like when you're moving in sync and in tandem with a whole room, there's a specific palpable sense of this community. So if you make the movement really basic and standard and just repeat it, you can watch the mind as opposed to the mind having to do any sort of choreography and think. And then you're able to stay on a beat with everybody else in the room. So that just kind of came through me. Nothing, I mean, there's a specific design of how we teach the teachers. There's a design and arc and art of the class physically and then mentally and then emotionally and then spiritually. But um, the the nuts and bolts of it really came through me of like, okay, once you do this long butt move, what do you want to do? Well, you want to stand up and shake your body and make some sound because you're, you know, your ass was just on fire for nine minutes. So like, <laughs> let's flush it out now, you know? So contraction, expansion, contraction, expansion is really what we do, the, the muscular strength and then the movement to flush the body out and then back in again. Um, but a lot of it, you know, I, when I, um, when I was 17, 18, I taught step aerobics down in Florida, as one does. And uh, so I've always loved group fitness. And uh, then I practiced yoga. I would run. I played a lot of sports. I'm a total music junkie. So, And I've done a lot of work on myself, a lot of different types of practices and reading and psychology. And, you know, I'm, I've been my own case study. So I'm really just sharing this mashup of what I've learned and then figure out a way to train other teachers how to how to do the same thing for what they've learned 
Because, you know, you can feel authenticity. You can tell when somebody's just trying to shove something down your throat as opposed to something that they've been through. You can feel it. If you followed all that went down at the Girl Boss Rally, then you know that's where we announced the winners of our Uber Pitch competition and awarded more than $200,000 to rising star entrepreneurs. And today we're checking in with Ashley Lamb Sinclair, founder of Curio Learning and the first place winner of Uber Pitch. She took home $95,000. Let's learn a bit more about Ashley and her business idea that totally blew us away. So, Ashley, welcome to Girl Boss Radio. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah. And so, you know, most businesses start with a with a problem solution, you know, and the best businesses are solving a real problem. And I'm so curious, you know, you, you've been a teacher. What challenges did you face as a teacher? Yeah. So the thing that Curio seeks to solve is to make the invisible work that teachers do more visible to the outside world. And so the idea behind Curio really is to take that discovery and the curation um, and the collaboration that teachers do and put it into one spot. What kind of content is being exchanged on Curio Learning for those of us who aren't teachers and don't really know how that works? Yeah, so I'll give you an example. Like, I'm an, I was an English teacher, so... When I was in the classroom, if I was getting ready to teach Romeo and Juliet, then I would be on Facebook and someone would post a TED talk on the science of love, for example. And I would think, wow, that would be really cool with Romeo and Juliet. And so in the, in the non-curio world, what a teacher might do is share that on Facebook or Twitter to kind of a limited small group of people. Um, bookmark it, and then you have 250 bookmarks on your laptop, you know, that are unorganized and you can't come back and find them later. Or you would create some kind of product like a viewing guide or a PowerPoint or you uh, maybe a lesson that you would put somewhere like Dropbox or Google. And so it's kind of this DIY hacking process. And a lot of the content that teachers are using in their classrooms is actually content that that everyone else is reading. Um, I like to tell the story a few years ago with the black and blue and the yellow and white dress that was all the rage and everybody was arguing about all over the world. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. My students were coming in the class all day arguing about this dress and I could not get them to focus on, I was actually teaching to kill a mockingbird at the time. And so finally I just leaned into it and I was like, okay, Atticus Fence says walk a mile in someone else's shoes. So find someone who disagrees with you on the dress, listen to their argument and recreate it. And so I ended up taking that lesson uh, or taking that content that the students were interested in and integrating it into what I was teaching into the curriculum. But the problem is that lesson kind of died right there. And there were probably teachers all over the world doing that exact same thing at that exact same moment. So the idea behind Curio is to take the stuff that students are interested in, that's inspiring and motivating to them. And put it in a place so teachers can talk about it. And tell me, what has your progress been like so far? Because this isn't just an idea. This is something that you've gotten off the ground. You know, where are you in the kind of process of building Curio right now? Yeah, so we, I actually started working on the idea behind Curio about three years ago, uh, doing some discovery testing. And I was actually the 2016 Kentucky Teacher of the Year, which gave Mm -hmm. me an opportunity to kind of work with other teachers of the year to understand education at like a national level. 
Um, so that gave me a lot of time to research and really deeply understand the problem and who my audience was. And then it was kind of like coffee day led to a phone call, left to led to like an email meeting where I just kept being persistent. And I finally ended up meeting my co-founder, who's a UI UX designer. And he kind of took a risk on me. You know, he took a chance. I was in the classroom. I literally just left working at a school full time on August in on August 24th. So I've been doing this as a side hustle for three years, really. Um, but in terms of where we are now, we've spent a lot of the time just kind of slowly raising money here and there, getting a grant here, winning a pitch competition there. We have a few local angel investors who've helped us a lot. And we built the product and we built our brand because we know with teachers, because we understand our target market so well, we know that they're wary of for-profit companies and education technology in general because they're often exploited. Um, so we spent a lot of time building trust with our community and doing things to highlight the work that they're doing before we even had a product to share with them. And now we're in beta, so we're onboarding. We had a wait list of users who signed up with us back in February. And now we're slowly onboarding those users onto our beta. And we're kind of viewing this as like our pilot with the actual product. And you have a story about a student named Ulysses and his graffiti assignment. Um, tell me about that. And is that, is that, does that have some bearing on how you came up with the idea for Curio? Yeah. So Ulysses was a student from my first year of teaching. Um, and he was very quiet. He'd kind of gotten into some trouble, had a little bit of a rocky home life. Um, and he was shy. He sat in the back of the classroom and totally disengaged from school. Um, and all he ever wanted to do was draw graffiti. So one day I went home and I searched, you know, everything I possibly could about graffiti. I learned about Banksy and social justice movements around the world that, you know, were related to graffiti. And then my my class was reading a letter from Birmingham Jail by Dr. Martin Luther King at the time. And so when I came in, instead of giving Ulysses the same assignment that I that everyone else was getting, I kind of slyly moved, you know, pulled him aside and I said, hey, respond to this text through graffiti. And he kind of looked at me and he had this little crooked smile and he did. And he stayed after class and he kind of talked me through what he had drawn and why he had done it and what the the piece meant to him. And it was really the first time that he really talked to me and the first time he kind of shined as a student. And it was just this aha moment. I mean, I started teaching when I was 21. So I was young, you know, it was this aha moment for me as a young teacher of like to pay attention to the kids in front of you, you know, even if the outside world or the powers that be or your colleagues, the curriculum mandates, whatever they might be, um, that the human beings sitting in front of you have certain needs and Really, that's what our motto, Curio, is teach like a rebel. That's what it's really about is understanding that teachers are the experts and have the real influence on what makes the difference for a student, you know, whether they are a learner or not. Because if I had just, if I had just continued doing what everybody else was doing, Ulysses would have failed my class. And he didn't as a result of that. So in terms of his direct, you know, correlation to Curio, you know, it was a decade later when Curio came to be, but the truth is over 14 years as an educator, I've had thousands of Ulysses. You know, I've had so many students who had special things that they needed that I had to go above and beyond and really understand in order to help them with that. And there are teachers all over this country, all over the world who are doing the same thing all the time. 
Well, I wish I had a teacher like you. So what do you plan to do next with the money? What's next for you? Yeah, I'm actually really excited about this because my partner and I have been, I mean, we view this as slingshot money. You know, it's like, uh, it is a lot of money and it's so exciting and we're so grateful, but we know like it, this is, this is the turning point and this is the thing that will get us to the next level, um, where we really need to be and want to be. So, um, we definitely need to expand our team right now. I'm a one woman show. We have some contract hires and I have a co-founder, but he's part-time. So we thought about hiring one person, uh, but then we're actually really excited. We're actually thinking about hiring teachers around the country um, to do some of like our marketing and our social media and um, maybe a little bit of design and community building for us. And I'm really excited about that because that means we're walking the walk of what we say we're about. That's really exciting. And I think what you guys are doing is just so, so important. And um, you know, individualizing education when we don't have a one size fits all way of learning is so powerful. And I don't think it existed back in, I don't know, whatever the nineties when I was learning and people, educators weren't connected in the same way. So it's amazing for you to bring that into modern times. Thank you so much, Ashley. It was so nice talking with you. you and I'm looking forward to watching your progress. Thank you. This is awesome. And I appreciate your time and organizing this. This is just a really amazing opportunity that I know I'll look back and be like, that was the difference. So really, thank you. So cool. Of course. For more on Ashley's and Curio's entrepreneurial journey, follow along on Girlboss. We'll get back to Taryn in just a minute, but first, let's talk a little bit about Prudential. To all the career women, entrepreneurs, side hustlers, and multi-job slayers out there, our partners at Prudential have a message for you. Women are more likely than men to be pessimistic or discouraged when it comes to meeting their financial goals. They uniformly see themselves as being less on track than men, according to the 2018 Financial Wellness Census. Ramp up your savings plan for the future and visit prudential.com slash state of us to see how to get started. Your future will thank you. Now let's get back to my chat with Taryn Toomey. So you mentioned training your instructors. And for all of us who have a business, large or small, we know how we want things to be. We can do things the way we want them to be. But instituting systems for our teams to go out and understand what it is and whether it's creatively or keeping a brand voice or instructing a class in the way that Taryn Toomey would, how have you achieved that? How do you make sure that there's a level of accuracy and quality in everything that your instructors do even when you're not in the room? Through our teacher training program, (laughs) through J.C. Gossett and um, our other instructors who we all take each other's classes. There's a lot of, I use this word lightly, quality control, but it's not quality like are you doing it right? It's are you working the body in the way that we've designed to keep the room safe? Are you understanding the difference between, you know, fitness class and just cueing movements or embodying a feeling and then expressing from there? Um, there's just some very basic touch points. We have advanced teacher trainings once a month. We have calls. My vi- my classes get videoed and sent out to the teachers once every other week with a whole bunch of notes on what the new updates are, what's happening. 
But the key is, is that I don't ever want anyone to be me. This came through me, but what we want is each human to drop themselves into the container of what we've created and allow the expression of themselves to be shared externally that way. So there's a quality control around the quality of the class. Are you teaching the class? And then there's, are you trying to be Taryn to me? Because that's actually wrong. You know, that's, that's or not wrong, but like, that's not what we're teaching. I, but it is tricky, you know, it is, especially because when you're trying to empower people to use their own voice, and then you're trying to set parameters around that, it's a very nuanced thing to try to figure out how to, you know, make a human feel safe enough to express themselves while telling them, but don't do it this way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. your instructors are some of the most buoyant people I've ever witnessed. Like the height of their jumps is like... We do a lot of plyos in there. They, yeah. yeah, and they look cool jumping. I don't know how you look cool jumping, but they look, yeah, they look really good. Just keep jumping. I know. <laughs> you mentioned that this happened pretty kind of serendipitously or naturally to you. Do you wish you had a plan? Would your advice be that, you know, if you were to start this over... It would be less serendipitous. You wish you had had a plan. No, not really. I mean, I just, I really believe in the power of just the thank yous, you know, and when I wake up in the morning just to really feel like thank you, thank you, thank you. And I'm not just saying thank you because I have this beautiful community. I mean, you know, thank you for giving me this opportunity again. Thank you for giving me the ability to feel all this stuff, even though it really hurts. Thank you for the ability to love these people that are next to me, like that type of Things So I don't really look back with a lot of regret just at much. I mean, I definitely look at things and reflect and say it probably would have been easier, but certainly not. I wish I could do it differently. I mean, of course, there's things like conversations you have in life and things that you wish you could, you know, do differently. But it, it's like it's more about just staying present and feeling the, you know, the presence of of that. And when I say thank you, it's not like, oh, thank you. Thank you. Like oh, the gratitude practice, like. Not that I'm like turning a nose at that because that's not what I'm trying to express, but I'm saying thank you in the way of like, everything is great, thank you. It's not that. It's, you know, I, I'm really grateful for the way that all of this unfolded. It's kept me very, um, with my hands in the soil around it all. I feel like I'm still very, very much a part of the community and, and believe in the work and the mission and the ethos of what I'm trying to do. And I think if I would have set out and had some big grand plan and then you make the plan. You're like, we, I did it. You know, whereas like, there's no end game here. I'm just in it every day and trying to express an experience with other people, you know, the human condition and how I can relate with people to say, you know, I feel what you feel and you feel what I feel too. And that, that togetherness quality. So I don't really look back and wish it was different now. We'll get back to our chat with Taryn in just a minute, but first I'm going to tell you a little bit about ZipRecruiter. You know what's not smart? Job sites that overwhelm you with tons of the wrong resumes. Believe me, I've been there. Totally irrelevant resumes coming for jobs that are totally specialized, and it's a lot, lot, lot to weed through. So you know what is smart? ZipRecruiter.com slash girlboss. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't wait for candidates to find you. ZipRecruiter, well, they recruit them and they find them for you. They have extremely powerful matching technology that scans thousands of resumes, identifies people with the right skills, education, and experience for your job, and actively invites the best of the best to apply. You get candidates super duper fast. 
And ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. We use ZipRecruiter here at Girlboss, and it's made the hiring process so much easier and so much more efficient. And right now, Girlboss Radio listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address. It's ZipRecruiter.com slash Girlboss. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash G-I-R-L-B-O-S-S. ZipRecruiter.com slash Girlboss. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. We'll get back to Taryn in just a minute. But first, I want to tell you about Skillshare. Everybody who listens to Girlboss Radio is here to learn. And Skillshare is an online learning platform with over 20,000 classes in business, marketing, technology, design, and more. You can take classes in social media marketing, data science, web development, you name it, they've got it. So whether you're trying to deepen your professional skill set, start a side hustle, or just explore a new passion, Skillshare is there to keep you learning and thriving. As you guys know, I love Skillshare. Everybody here at the Girl Boss headquarters love Skillshare. We're so committed to continual learning. They have a great class I'm taking called Creative Leadership Toolkit, Curiosity, History, and Discovery. Because I'm a creative, I'm natural at being creative, but understanding how to teach other people how to be creative is a very challenging thing. So whatever you're interested in or need to learn about, they have a class for you. Join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer just for Girlboss Radio listeners. Get two months of Skillshare for just 99 cents. That's right. Skillshare is offering Girlboss Radio listeners two months of unlimited access to over 20,000 classes for just 99 cents. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash Girlboss again. Go to Skillshare.com slash Girlboss to start your two months now. That's Skillshare.com slash Girlboss. Now let's get back to my chat with Taryn Toomey. I've also been an accidental entrepreneur and there is a learning curve where your business starts to hit a certain kind of threshold and you need what worked yesterday is not going to what's going to work tomorrow. Are there any books or resources that you've leaned on? Do you have a favorite book that taught you things that you needed to learn at that point in time? God, I wish, you know, I wish I knew how to read. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I mean, I love The Untethered Soul. That's certainly nothing to do with business. I have so many business books and I crack the first page open and then I think, oh boy, oh boy. I I really lead from my gut and from my instinct. I think I have really good instincts about a lot of things and the ability to understand how to skin your knees and get up quickly and reroute. I think those those two things can be a really good guiding force, but I don't have a specific book that I can recommend. I mean, I wish I said I read a lot, and I really don't. So The Untethered Soul is one of my favorite books to just pick up and read, but it's not a business book. It's more a book on how to digest spirituality and consciousness mm-hmm. in a very very um, digestible way. And that's so. also a book I've recommended on Girl Boss Radio, so book. I'm also a fan. And so you have a really different approach approach to fitness and wellness. And when someone dis- disrupts a space, there's usually a backlash for trying mm-hmm. something new. And you talked about skinning your knees and getting up quickly. Have you experienced backlash? And how did you turn that adversity into a positive? You know, I think the backlash is actually the backlash that comes from my inners toward myself, that like self-loathing thing that we do, where when I hear people 
talking about the class, I get uncomfortable sometimes when they say, oh, yeah, those people are screaming in there. Or sometimes I'll be out and, and somebody will have n- never taken class and they'll start mocking things that they hear. And that's what is really hard for me because when you're in the room and I'm doing it, I'm completely embodied and I feel like I'm in my craft. So it's very easy for me to do that. But when I'm not in that space, it's hard for me when people are making fun of it or teasing me or doing something along those lines because it's me really sharing a very vulnerable part of myself. So, um, you know, the backlash is, has not really been where, you know, it, I mean, of course, people want to make fun of and there's this um, thing that goes on when you're, yeah, when you're pushing into the seams of complacency or any, you know, blazing a trail of any sort. Um, but it's usually along the lines of people making fun of what it is that we're doing. And then they come and they're like, oh, okay. I mean, it really is one of those classes where I think you've probably heard it too. What is a class? Well, you just have to go, you know, and that frustrates people. People want to know what is it? Is it yoga? Is it Pilates? Is it boot camp? You know, and Mm -hmm. you're like, yeah, just come. (laughs) Yeah. People get frustrated. And you've also opened physical spaces, which is a big move, you know, going from something that you may have created and, you know, you have a, a following to saying, like, I'm going to sign a lease. Why have you done that? And has it impacted your business? Do you have plans for opening more physical spaces? We're going to open another one this year, well, 2019. And um, I didn't open that first one until five years after I taught the class. So it was two years in no name, three years at a kid's dance studio. And a friend of mine had come to me and he said, T, you've really shifted my awareness and changed my life. And I've signed on this third floor space in Tribeca and I just want to turn the lease over to you. And his father was in real estate and I was like, I don't know, I don't know, I was so scared. And I just did it. And then after I signed the lease, I found out that I couldn't really even do the class in there because I didn't do any of the research on the floors or anything and I ended up having to go to bat for like three months with all these big old real estate guys in the office every other day trying to fight to get into this space. So I, you know, I, for me, the way that I feel things is through my eyes and through touch and through scent, you know, like, and I'm not talking about feel, like just with my fingertips, I mean like feel in my guts and my heart. So to create an experience where people can walk in and immediately have the street lifted off of them through scent or through color and to allow the person to feel more comfortable and at ease is for me really a part of the experience of the class. So it made sense um, to have my own space, but I was absolutely scared and brave at the same time. You know, I mean, I think that's what it takes to do that. And the wellness space is really booming. It's a great space to be in right now. We care about taking care of ourselves more than ever. There's more information out there. We care about investing in our personal development more than stuff. And that's such an inspiring thing. What would your advice be to someone who's thinking about getting into the wellness space? I mean, first and foremost, I think you have to move with the things that actually resonate with you. You know, so if somebody's looking to create a company or a movement or fill in any of the blanks, it really should come from a part of you where you're you're moving and sharing or doing whichever variation of that in a way that really resonates with you. And if you're just doing it because you're trying to make money or you want to fill a void of something, but it really isn't 
the uh, you know the kind of sense of a part of you I think that we end up just being a little bit miserable you know so I would just get in touch with the intelligence in you and figure out what will create more of a holistic work environment where you're enjoying what you're doing and then you know that thing that they say when I was growing up all the time if you love what you do it doesn't feel like work I mean that's just like without a doubt the truth at least for me um, doesn't mean it's not exhausting and all of these other things, you know, you're still a human being, but find what you love and then, you know, let that guide you. And that kind of parlays very naturally into a question I ask everybody that comes on Girl Boss Radio. And that question is, what does success mean to you? Because yes, money, yes, achievement, all of these things, and that can change. So Taryn, what does success mean to you right now? Being a good mom being present with my friends and just feeling like there's a part of my mission that's actually happening, which is to help people understand empowerment through themselves and just the the humanness and that there's really no one human better than another. It's really all of us in this together. So I bring up the mom thing first and foremost because, um, you know, I look at my little kids and I think all the time that I'm really creating a new normal for them for the way that I was brought up. And if I'm able to help with the f future generations on that level, and especially these little beings that are like my heart on the outside of me, that's why I start there. But then that resonates into the next la layer of like my friends, my colleagues, my community. It's really the same feeling through all of that. You know, if I can help people relate, um, it gives, it's such a cyclical thing. It becomes so fulfilling for me to like used honesty and, and kindness and humility and generosity with people around you, it really is a ripple effect, you know, and it does come back. We have something called Girl Boss Moments on Girl Boss Radio. And a Girl Boss Moment is the time in your most recent history where you were really proud of something that nourished you. It's easy to give so much of ourselves away. Taryn, what was your most recent Girl Boss Moment? Yeah, I mean, I just made in about 30 days some of the biggest, toughest moves and decisions I've made probably in my entire life all in one month. And I I kind of did it all at once. And um, I feel really proud of my ability to execute things in a way with grace and dignity and to be able to tolerate as much pressure was on me and still stay integrated with my truth about what it was I was doing. And I don't really want to get into specifics of all that because it's like super personal, but there is a lot of things going on at once. Um, and, you know, it's kind of like a unbridling of yourself for 2000 next year or whatever it is. You know, it's I'm even hesitant saying that because I hate that like idea of a year and a resolution and this and that. But, you know, there is kind of a marker in my life right now where I feel like I've made some really big decisions in a lot of different lanes in my life that have given me the space to really move forward, not feeling shackled. Thank you so much for joining us today on Girl Boss Radio. Starting next week, we'll be on hiatus until January 23rd, 2019. I will miss you guys. But in the meantime, be sure to go back and check out years of Girl Boss Radio episodes with incredible guests like Beth Comstock and Charlize Theron and more. If you like what you hear on Girl Boss Radio, please rate, subscribe, review, and tell your friends about us and follow at Girlboss 
at Girl Boss Radio, at Girl Boss Rally, and at Sophia Amoruso. And don't forget to listen to our latest podcast with Uber called Jump Start, hosted by Jen Rubio, co-founder of Away Luggage. And if you've ever wondered how to pitch venture capitalists, this is the show for you. Check it out wherever good podcasts are found. And remember, we're building something really special. You can sign up for early access at community.girlboss.com. Bye-bye. <laughs>